Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman, and with me this week is Joe Lupton. I will try to constrain my frustration right now, Joe, with JP Morgan technology, because I know that if I open I'm sure that the door, I'm sure the feeling is mutual, Bruce. That's, that's my point. I knew I can if just I hear tech support screaming down the hall right now. All right. Well, please limit your uh, your cracks about my, my technological my prowess. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, let's get to the very interesting conversation about what actually is going on in the global economy. And I guess the way I want to frame the conversation is that um, we had a, a huge set of uh, January surprise across a lot of countries, across a broad range of activity, uh, inflation readings. And there's a really important question of how much is signal and how much is noise. And now we're on the cusp, we're starting to get some February releases, and that's not going to be definitive, but it is adding to that information set. It is going to be important for central banks as they meet this month. So let's kind of hone in on this. We're starting to get February releases. What are we learning from it? And maybe we'll start on the activity side, Joe, and uh, obviously you're in my favorite economic indicator on the global basis, the PMI. Yeah, so yeah. So the, the PMIs were um, quite strong. We've been talking about this the last couple of weeks in terms of how the flashes rolled out on the manufacturing side, and those were impressive. We said this week we were going to want to see, see if Asia is coming back to life because that was a sore point in the manufacturing sector, and that absolutely did happen. On the manufacturing front, uh, it was a very good uh, very good report, both the, the, the output moving up, new orders moving up. I, I suppose you could say the inventories are also moving up again, but I, I'm not too worried about that at this point. I think the, the broad set of the data is, is quite strong on the activity. I want to jump in here because when yep. we say broad, it's not just the fact that the yes. details of the global are uh, sending a consistent message. It's that there's breadth sectorally, there's breadth regionally maybe talk to the regional story for a minute because i think that's quite yeah i mean so i mean i was hinting at it in terms of, of of asia just on the manufacturing side but i you know we've been looking for china to rebound big picture we've been looking for china to rebound that's not surprising presumably there's going to be some spillovers there but i mean you just look at the report and i'll, I'll rope in the services as well because we those came out today those were also up a lot so you have breadth across sectors. And then as you're pointing out, it's breadth across countries. Pretty much all countries saw a pretty good move up. And, and you really want to pay attention to a PMI move when you see that much consistency across countries. So across countries, across sectors. I mean, I think what you're seeing is these PMIs really got weak around the turn of the year into year end. And to the point where, you know, we were understandably flagging some some risks that maybe there will be a near-term uh, recession. Now we pushed back hard against that, but the PMIs weren't helping us out in that in, in that conversation. What's happened in the last kind of couple months, really, and in, in February this week's data really capped it off with a big increase, is just a broad-based improvement across manufacturing, across services, and it really it it does not paint strong growth. So I don't want people to run away with all this kind of strong language we're using that this is pointing oh, to strong wow. growth. Uh, let me uh, let me jump in here a second because I think you're right. If you take the point estimate, it's not strong. It's just it's actually slightly above trend. But in the context of conversations people are having, you could either say that's that's strong or maybe it's not because we know China is growing very rapidly. But I think 
I think the point here, and this gets into what else we're, we're seeing, is that um, February is sitting at a, you know, slightly above trend growth uh, reading with momentum building. We don't really know how to add up first quarter growth with any conviction right now because we had a big drop in momentum into December and now we're starting to lift. So I don't really want to spend my time focusing on adding up Q1. But given the way people have been thinking about the world, the question is whether that momentum signal is actually telling us something important yeah, about I mean, where we be in Q2. I, I, I don't disagree. And I made a big point about it in the in the write-up that the the, P, the deltas on the PMI, you kind of went from, I, I don't remember exactly, but something like a half a point increase in in December, a full point or a little more than a point increase in, in, in January, and like a two and a half point increase in, uh, in February. So and what so, does that mean yes. for March, Joe? No, no, I, I, I agree. But I, I, I will say they got very low. And is this just a correction from kind of some unusual year end type type weakness? Right. Uh, so I there's no doubt. The, the other thing I'm surprised I didn't hear you say there was to say we were looking at January as clear kind of upside, everything was strong, inflation activity. And so that put more weight on the February date. And we've been saying February is going to be really important, particularly in the US for the Fed. But when you think about it, or you don't even have to think about it, the, the, the PMIs are our first February read. And here we are, and they've come out pretty strong. So that does bode well. And next week, we'll be getting some data from the US, which will presumably be strong. Right. Again. And let's let's just make sure that we kind of uh, obviously talk about the forecast for next week because payrolls are the uh, the big, you know, the big data point. But we've had some data on the U.S. Uh, on February, and I think we shouldn't ignore that. I think it has uh, not validated the January strength, but it's also giving a sense of an economy that's still holding up pretty well. I think you look at the relatively modest payback off of a very strong car sales number in January. You look at the um, the ISM surveys, which complement the PMI. Um, if you look at the um, uh, well, jobless claims. claims readings that we have in February, there's nothing there that's really presenting a, a kind of a, a, a concern. I think it still remains hard to know in the context of a January payroll number, uh, how to read where the economy is in the first quarter. Um, but um, you know, if we get anything close to the two hundred thousand number we're forecasting next Friday, um, you know, I just went over with our U.S. team what the Friday number we're forecasting, which is two hundred thousand on jobs, and actually a tick down in the work week. But even with those numbers, they would be tracking uh, payroll gains averaging something close to three hundred thousand for the first quarter, and hours work tracking somewhere close to 5% annualized. So those mm -hmm. are, you know, those are pretty, and, and of course we could be, I think part of the reason I say this is because even if we're a surprise to the downside somewhat, it would take a pretty big downward surprise to start to talk about the economy looking uh, uh, soft and weak. So that's kind of where we stand on the, on the U.S. side of things here, and, you know, I mean, you start to throw in productivity and if this, these are workers that are, you know, leisure hospitality type workers. I mean, you can start to, the, the translation to GDP is is not always easy, but I, I think I would quickly, and I know you will quickly push back and say, look, these are these are very strong momentum indicators and it's, it's running ahead of, you know, our forecast and it's certainly running ahead of where central banks are probably going to feel comfortable with. 
Yeah. And then we get before we get to the central banks, which we obviously do need to say something about, let's not forget that an important part of the surprising January data has been inflation news. Yes. Um, and now we're we're not really yet in the in the mode of having much February news. But we did get one yeah. pretty interesting report this week, which is the year a flash. Yeah, I mean, that that was I mean, it's just a, it's like a broken record. Right. I mean, it's upside surprise, upside surprise. I mean, probably going on. I mean, that's true everywhere. Right. But I mean, the, the core reading it, it printed seven tenths on the month. That's a very strong month on month reading. It was stronger than we expected, you know, yet again. Uh, there is an element, I, I keep wondering, like core inflation in, in Europe lagged the U.S., right? Much of last year, I think the defense <clears throat> for the our ECB call, which was kind of lagging, you know, certainly lagged the Fed, still does, is that core was was also lagging. That's not the case anymore, right? And and therefore, that's why we keep adding more hikes. And yet again, just after we added 25 basis points, we added, we now think they're going to do two fifties in a row. And then that 25 we added last week. So uh, 125 basis points to go from here, get them to, I believe, what, 375? Yep, 375 by mid-year. I think the interesting and important point is that we have added, but we've added incrementally. And the um, the forecasts really haven't changed much beyond the the middle of the year. We still have basically central banks ending, and I think this is where and, our- and yeah, Bruce. So so I mean to bring it back to inflation. I apologize because I brought us into the central bank conversation. <laughs> I was just going to stay there, but okay, bring it well, back. but but I think you're right, and we should point out that on the inflation front, it's not just Europe. Right. I mean, I think the signs on inflation, obviously, everywhere have been surprising to the upside. And in these same PMI reports, which were strong, you know, they do have pricing information. And what's notable is that a lot of the backlog type indicators and uh, bottleneck pressure indicators that we've looked at, those have now fully recovered. They're kind of back to normal. And yet the pricing indicators are still elevated. And I think there is that kind of potential suggestion of entrenched inflation uh, getting into the system. And I think that's something that uh, kind of changes the central, uh, you know, at least the risks around the outlook, stronger growth and stronger inflation and a world in which central banks maybe probably need to be doing a bit more here. Yeah, I think the question is whether the word bit is uh, appropriate. And that <laughs> I think is the uh, uh, the issue here. And I think in that context, we get into the issue about if we have more growth momentum, and we're still, I think, being pretty careful about not trying to run all the way with what the data itself would signal. But if we have more growth momentum, a signal of greater resilience, if we have um, more stubbornness on the inflation front, um, the question is how central banks will react and how much they actually have to do. I mean, it's certainly you know, I think it feeds the storyline we have that it's going to take longer to 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 take the recession uh, story and have it be realized in the either in the U.S. or globally. But that the case for that being needed in terms of central banks having to um, uh, generate much weaker labor markets to deliver inflation outcomes feels pretty pretty solid as a as a storyline. But it doesn't. It still doesn't feel like they're. Um, going to move in an aggressive way. And that gets to this issue of, you know, the boiling the frog scenario that they they move 
uh, and it takes time. It takes a cumulative impact of, uh, of higher rates being around for a while uh, to actually put the global uh, expansion at, at risk. Um, you know, in that regard, I do think it's, it's interesting that we have had a repricing of uh, central banks in a significant way over the last month or so. Um, but, and we have seen financial conditions tighten, which, which reflects itself uh, in higher bond yields. Uh, but we haven't seen a big move in the stress indicators uh, that right. we, we pay attention to. Uh, and, you know, I think one thing when people think about transmission and think particularly about recessions is that you usually get a decent amount of stress building in financial markets and funding and credit. Um, sometimes you can call that stress the stress that comes with an energy price shock, which is often in the mix as well. Uh, but it is notable that those things are just not there yet. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think if all we were looking at were was the growth news, if all we were looking at was the, the you know, the tightening financial condition against a backdrop of lack of financial stress, i.e. spreads and that type of stuff, um, and you put all that together, I would say we're in this this world, and we, we flagged this early in the year, this world of observational equivalence between the soft landing story and a whether it's the the pause is not enough now we're calling it boiled frog we're, we're, it's hard to distinguish that to me the defining feature is what we just talked about which is inflation that to me is what's pushing the needle from the soft landing to the uh, boil the frog i i actually bruce i i don't i, I guess we're gonna we'll start an argument here like the boil the frog to me, like I would say the risk is greater that the Fed and other central banks just really step in and hammer things. And and I mean, if we really want to get Old Testament, like like we've been pushing in the in the data watches, it is going to be someone that says, look, interest sensitivity of the economy is just so low right now because of all the reasons we just said, solid, resilient growth, not seeing financial stress, not really seeing much reaction. We need to do a lot more. And that means you know, Fed not just going to six, which is what people are worried about, but going up to 7%. And that really telescopes the boil the frog st story into a world in which it's just a much, a much stronger and faster. Well, let me, I think you want to parse that into two different pieces, Joe, because as you well know, I wouldn't want to, you know, fight hard against a scenario where the Fed needs to go well above six, because I think that's a perfectly reasonable scenario to tell you. But the issue is whether they're going to come in and hit us hard immediately. I think the boil the frog scenario is that they continue to move incrementally here and that therefore the dynamics of growth, um, the dynamics of financial markets in response to that uh, is such, and the dynamics of the underlying health of the, uh, the private sector globally is such that it takes time and we kind of accumulate uh, the tightening to a point where central banks overdo it, even if they're not intending to cause a recession. That's a different scenario than what you, what I think you were kind of hinting at a minute ago, which is that they turn Old Testament on us and then they go and smack us. Um, I think what's interesting about the um, conversation on this is I do think the March FOMC meeting is a important uh, place to see how that goes. And we'll have to wait to see the February data before we can mm -hmm. judge. You, you yourself today was talking about scenarios where the inflation news and growth news was strong enough that could get the Fed to go 50. And I think that's that's in the mix. The other thing I would just say here on this is that I think the fact that the market is now pricing the Fed uh, to continue to go here, uh, that the Fed isn't having to fight the market on the 
um, the easing that was built into the uh, forecast through the latter part of the year actually makes it easier for the Fed to continue to go incrementally here for a while. I don't doubt the idea that if you get a 400,000 payroll and a 510th core inflation number, they're going to be feeling the change. But as long as the market is continuing to move policy rates up when the Fed is feeling it's uh, needs to do more, then I think the Fed can take some comfort on that and can move more incrementally. Whether that is actually going to lead to desirable outcomes is a whole other story. So I'm you know, I'm not uh, ruling out 50 by any means, but I'm not feeling that's a pretty high, particularly high probability, partly because of what I think the market has, has done here in tightening financial conditions, giving the Fed an ability to, um, uh, to, to basically align its uh, guidance and, and perhaps push it a little more, but more on the terminal rate than on the, uh, the side of the uh, uh, March decision. But we'll see. We, we really have to have this conversation next Friday after we get um, the payroll report in terms of uh, uh, assessing those uh, uh, probabilities. Um, but let's, um, um, you know, end by kind of uh, asking a question. If you have to kind of put a number on global IP, uh, global core inflation, global GDP for the second quarter, what numbers would you put in for it right now? I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but that's one of the things I like doing. Uh, let's <laughs> you can you can defer if you don't want to. No, so for IP, I guess I would think. You know, I, I don't know. I I would think anything in the four to six percent range for the second quarter. Okay. Uh, and and then what else did you ask about? GDP and core core CPI. GDP. Uh, you know, uh, maybe um, three and a half percent. Um, is that too weak for you? No, no. I'm making okay. making faces, but that's not why I'm making faces. Um, and uh, what else? CPI, core CPI. Oh, core for the U.S. Globally, I mean, look, I mean, no, no, globally, globally. in global. But you can give me a U.S. one too, okay? Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. Where were we tracking on on, on, the, on the? We're tracking about four and a half for the first quarter, um, we, which is about a percentage point above where we were at the start of the year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think that has to <laughs> come back, right? I mean, I I guess I would hope that's back to something closer to uh, four. Uh, okay, and so you, since you raised four. since you raised it, the U.S. is also tracking somewhere close to four and a half, where would you put the U.S. in the second quarter? Well, I mean, look, I've, I've got my eyes set on the on the February print. I mean, I'm, I'm four tenths <laughs> is a marker for me on that. Like if you if you get we're talking second quarter now, there, Jay. So I'm getting you away from the February print per se. Uh, I would uh, probably uh, again similar. I think I would definitely at least want to get uh, back to four, but below four. But do you realize? I mean, I think I think it's clear in those numbers. If we kind of put in that three percent global number, a U.S. that's growing two, let's just say for argument's yeah. sake, then this is a world where the pressure is going to be pretty consistent here. See, and we're it is, Bruce. But I think there's a tendency. You do it. A lot of people do it to like feel like there's a there's a Phillips curve, some steep Phillips curve, and you want to translate quarter to quarter moves and growth into inflation immediately like that. And I, 
I, I just think there's inf there's stuff on the inflation process that's happening and it's in the background and it's either going to be very bad in the sense that it's getting entrenched uh, or it's going to be a removal of some of these various constraints and transitory issues are going to come up. I don't I actually don't think the difference between two and a half percent trend like global GDP growth and three to three and a half percent GDP growth is going to be the make or break defining uh, I, I, that's not the way I'm thinking process. about it at all, Joe. I think I think okay. I would take a totally different line here. I would say that if you're running three percent global GDP and two percent U.S. GDP growth in the second quarter, then I'm not going to draw any inflation implication off of that, other than say the global economy is looking more resilient and less sensitive to the central bank tightening. And obviously, in a forward-looking sense, I would put the idea that that probably means labor markets aren't going to be easing at all. And then if you tell me that U.S. core inflation is running 4% core on a run rate basis in the second quarter after four and a half in the first quarter, I'd say, boy, that unwind of goods price pressures, the dollar rise last year, that's just mm -hmm. not doing very much. Yeah. So, so um, you know, you can tell me what you want about where shelter costs are going to be in the second half of the year. But this is a problem. This is not a yeah. Uh, this is not a you know soft landing story by any way, shape, or form. Uh, and I yeah. think that's the point. the The problems here are going to build, and you know it's right for you to question: Is this a Fed that can just keep moving twenty five in that world? Uh, it's right for us to question whether we're just wrong, and there's some there's some wily coyote moment that some people have raised that we're just missing here. Uh, I don't see it in financial conditions. I don't see it in corporate performance, and we, we're not going to get time to talk about it. Profits are slowing, but they're not they're not looking that weak at this point. And no, nominal no. GDP growth is looking stronger, so that's going to help somewhat. Um, I mean, it's just it's just not a sustainable, healthy situation. And I think um, it is really interesting to me that you gave me those numbers. I would not have thought you were been as uh, Strong across the board on them. So, well, the inflation um, side, I might make it three and a half to you four. You have no no US. revisions, no revisions. You got to wait. <laughs> I mean, I said four. Next I Friday, said four, can... maybe like. Look, I'm still on a, on a view on the path that the U.S. is going to get back. next Friday. You can revise, but nothing for today. No, yeah. no quibbling, no qualifications. We're done. <laughs> We're done for today. Yeah. And I'm going to go back to my technological uh, banging head <laughs> against the wall. And you can make fun of me. Yeah. So anyway, on that note, and obviously everybody I think is aware that we have a big test of views as we look at next Friday's uh, employment report, but uh, it's a really interesting macro world. Uh, thanks everyone for listening in and uh, hope that we continue the conversation next week on JP Morgan TV.